Welcome back to the MMA Meeting Let's Talk with Weasel Podcast, where we talk all things MMA. And there's a lot of things going on. So there's some matchups that have been made, such as Uriah Faber is going to be fighting Pedro Jan at Bantamweight, and Jose Aldo is going to be fighting Marlon Moraes. That's right. Marlon Moraes at 135 pounds. Seems to be finalized, or at least it's finalizing. It has come with a bit of shock that Jose Aldo is actually going to commit to go to 135 pounds. We all know that he had a hard time making 145 pounds. And to see him go down to 135, I mean, there was a point where he wanted to go up to 155 because 145 was so hard. Now, I already know a lot of people's speculation about this is PEDs. Ever since USADA, Jose Aldo has had an easier time making 145 pounds. I'm not going to go and jump the gun like that. I'm not going to go and say that he's been taking stuff. But we really don't know. It is a bit coincidental that since the USADA era, starting with Jose Aldo's fight with Conor McGregor, a lot of people were saying they looked a little bit different. It was mainly Joe Rogan, but it wasn't that much different. But he still looked a bit drained for that weigh-in. And then after that fight, for every single one, he looked a lot better making weight. And there weren't any problems. There weren't any complaints about it. And his fight with Marlon Royce is exceptional. I think this is one of, if not the most exciting fight he can have at 135 pounds. They could really test him in that division because Marlon Rice is not a small guy as well. Marais can make 145 pounds. They're very similar in size, very similar in stature, and they're both extremely explosive strikers, good takedown defense, and good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Whereas Josie Aldo is a little bit more defensive and Marlon Moraes is a little bit more offensive than Aldo's. And a lot of people have been asking me for my prediction or what do I think about the fight? How is it going to go down? It's impossible to know because Josie Aldo's never made this weight before. He's never dropped this low before. And it has impacted fighters in many different ways, such as Michael Johnson lost all his power and stuff. You could say Conor McGregor, he went up and down for 155, 145, and he always kept his power. There are guys that can carry that kind of power to the lower weight classes, but there's guys that just cannot. And Josie Aldo really relies on his speed. So going down to 135, he's going to be meeting guys who are a little bit faster than what he's used to, a little bit faster than what he's been training for his whole life. And the lower in weight classes you go, the more reliance on technique is applied in every single fighter because the power usually gets diminished. And therefore, you can't rely on that one-shot knockout like you see heavyweights do, 205ers do. When you go down to 135, it's going to be a lot more technique-based. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Jose Aldo applies his knowledge, applies his skills to this lower weight class against a completely different plethora of styles and fighters. And if he goes and beats Marlon Moraes, which is something I think he might, if he shows up healthy, he should get a title shot. And here's the thing, man. If he fights Henry Cejudo and he's healthy, that's a nightmare for Cejudo. That's absolutely a nightmare. How is he going to take down Jose Aldo? He's going to strike with Aldo being that much shorter and have to fight at a distance? Good luck with that, man. Jose Aldo's really only struggle with guys who are longer than him, taller than him, such as Max Holloway and Conor McGregor, for different reasons as well. Max Holloway was able to pressure him a lot more Connor drew him into a counter shot, which was a very quick fight. With Henry Cejudo, it's going to be dicey. His legs are going to get chopped. Jose's boxing is way more precise and way better with positioning work, whereas Cejudo attacks in straight lines. Jose Aldo's pivoting game is the perfect counter to Henry Cejudo's striking approach. And we are talking about Jose Aldo, the best anti-wrestler the sport has ever seen, right? I mean, we're talking about over a 90% takedown defensive rate, and this is way more impressive than everybody else because who he has fought, whose takedowns he has thwarted, Frank Yeager twice, Chad Mendez, Ricardo Lamas, Manny Gamburian, Uriah Faber. I mean, you could go down the list. The level of wrestlers, the level of grapplers, takedown artists that he has completely shut down is more impressive than any fighter that has ever competed in the sport. And Cejudo is a gold medalist in the Olympics, but he's way smaller than those guys, and it's really going to be tested. But you cannot overlook Marlon Moraes. Moraes is extremely dangerous, extremely precise. He has great timing in his strikes. He's really hard to take down if Jose Aldo wants to go that route. Shows a little bit of a difference. Maybe thinks that his strength is superior to everybody else's because of his size. And tries to use the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu like he has done in the past against Korean Zombie and other fighters like that. But where I think Marlon Moraes is probably going to lose this is he will allow opponents to pressure him. And if you allow Jose Aldo to pressure you, now his liking game is open. I don't think he's going to go to it that much. I think he's going to pick and choose when he goes to that. And his boxing mixed up with the kicks is something that Marlon Moraes hasn't really felt up against to this level. Yes, we are talking about really one right kick to the leg, but the difference in combination and more importantly, the different in pressure combined with the timing of that left hook of his that he enters to throw that right leg kick afterwards is a bit different. It's really hard to gauge it. You can ask for Carl Lamas, who got hammered by that combination over and over and over again. And if Marlon Moraes keeps scaling the cage, moving left and right, Josie Aldo can use that exact technique. And if Marlon Moraes is going to attack, because he feels a bit uncomfortable, now he meets the left hook again as Josie Aldo is pivoting away, or as he's moving backwards, and the right hand will be followed up afterward, 
if Marlon Morris is not quick enough to exit from his attacks. It puts Marlon Morris in a very awkward position. Where I think Morais is going to have the biggest advantage, or at least the best chance to win this fight, is if he makes us a brawl. If he brawls a little bit more and not backs up as much, right? He likes to back up a little bit too much in time. He can't do that with Josie Aldo. A healthy Josie Aldo is way too fast. He's way too hard to gauge at a distance like that, unless you're longer than him. And if you're sitting on the outside, now you're open for kicks as well. And he's, again, if you're trying to get in on those kicks, which is something Morais will try to do with his punches, again, Josie Aldo's a little bit too quick to pivot. And just pivoting off a straight right hand or an overhand or something like that that Marlon Morais likes to throw a lot, the left hook is open on him. And I see that punch being open throughout the duration of the fight against Morais. So Morais has to brawl a little bit, make it a little bit ugly, and disengage and allow Aldo to get a little bit antsy out there because it's something like Conor McGregor said in the past, and it's always been true throughout Josie Aldo's entire career, and that is if you tag him or you make a sudden movement on him or you engage him a little bit, he reacts all over the place. He doesn't calm himself. The only time he didn't really see that was in his last fight against Volkanovski, but Aldo said he felt a little bit off in that fight. Every other fight from the Jeremy Stevens fight to the Chad Mendes fight to the Conor McGregor fight to even Uriah Faber back in the day, Jonathan Brookins. I mean, every single guy's ever fought, he has reacted heavy to everything, and just a little bit of brawling, a little bit of heavy punches from Marais, back up, engage Aldo as he's trying to get payback on you. That is the best way I think Marais is going to take advantage of this fight. But I just don't see him doing that. And then as for Uriah Faber versus Petr Jan, I think it's too much for Uriah Faber. This is a very dangerous fight. He's outboxed and he's outwrestled. I won't say he's outgrappled. I think on the ground, Uriah Faber is a little bit too crafty. He has gained so much experience there, he's going to be comfortable. Petr Jan is a devastating puncher, right? Especially if he times your one-dimensional movements, in this case for Uriah Faber. Faber doesn't move too well. It's very obvious where he's trying to go and what he's trying to set up for. And that right overhand is pretty much his biggest punch and most used punch. That is not going to catch Petrion. So I think this fight is going to be a wash for Jan. And it's just going to show that Uriah Faber should have stayed retired. But I like these fights, man. I mean, we were talking about Uriah Faber possibly getting a title shot against Henry Sudo. That would have been crazy. I would not have agreed with that. But some people were asking for it. But then when Josie Aldo put his name in the hat, when Frankie Edgar also went down, it's like, oh, never mind. Josie Aldo, he trumps all these guys. He trumps Uriah Faber and Frankie. He beat both of them. And he was the champion not too long ago. And he's the greatest 145-pounder of all time. Don't at me. One of the greatest fighters of all time. You know, he has all these credentials. And it's something that, for sure, Henry Suda wants to face over Frankie and over Uriah Faber. But first, Suda has to fight Joseph Benavides. I think he's going to win that fight. He's going to come back up. I think he'll eventually fight Jose Aldo. And I think he might lose that if Aldo is healthy. That's the only thing we do not know. We can guess all we want. We have no idea how Jose Aldo is going to show up. It's a bit uncanny for him to move down when he had all those problems making his now natural weight class. In another news, Paige Van Zant. I talked a little bit about this before, how she just doesn't want to fight Macy Barber, but she has apparently turned her down again. And again, she's overvaluing herself way too much. I understand to value yourself and respect what your value is but in this situation like let's be honest the macy barber fight is the biggest fight she could take and barber is ahead of her in the rankings why is she turning her down that really doesn't make much sense her reasoning for it is that she pretty much doesn't respect macy barber what she put all of these different names from the 150 pound division to 125 pound division it's like 62 fighters that she respects and she would take on a fight but she won't put macy barber on there that is weird now if this is how you're going to go by this i mean either of these fights are going to be non-warranted such as joanna jessica andrage and, and tatiana suarez and whatever you know these fights make no sense at all but then she puts fighters that nobody really cares about people want to watch the macy barber fight okay you don't respect her then go fight her <laughs> you know like at least you'll make a little bit more money at least people will be drawn to it a little bit more macy barber is very dangerous she's younger and she's quote-unquote the future right Paige Van Sands being forgotten at this point I think I mean there was a point where I forgot that she was even fighting anymore and I do respect that I do respect that she values herself which something fighters don't do that much but it's getting near that cocky territory you know what I'm saying where's chill sonning when you need him but what's really interesting is this whole thing John Jones is going on so on Twitter he's actually going on this uncharacteristic Q&A or at least I never see him go on these and he just answering everybody's questions pretty much he responded to Dominic Reyes's call out and 
He's pretty much not showing that much of interest in these guys coming up in the division, such as Dominic Reyes, Johnny Walker, Jan Blahovich, Jacare Souza, etc., etc. He wants big names. And Chris Wyman, Luke Rockhold, I'm guessing what he's talking about. But, man, frankly, like I've been saying for a long time, I think these next fights are something that's really going to test Jones, or at least I think will test Jones. If he goes and defeats these guys as easy as many think he will, he is definitely next level and he kind of alluded that he wants to go up to the heavyweight division and eventually fight someone there such as DC such as Stipe Miocic and he said the fight with Francis Ngannou is going to be inevitable obviously those fights are going to be tougher I personally think as I've been saying for a long time Francis Ngannou I think is his hardest matchup I'm not saying Stipe is not hard Stipe obviously is a very hard matchup he can beat John Jones I think as well with the right kind of approach and with these new guys such as Smith Santos Dominic Reyes maybe Johnny Walker, other guys like that. The interest just isn't there, I guess, for him because he said in one of his tweets, quote, had a chip on my shoulder against Gus, fighting Smith, Santos, Dominic. I'm having a hard time even talking shit to this last guy. They all say the same lame shit and I want to fight to be excited about. If that's the feeling of it, he should just go up to heavyweight and what's stopping him? I mean, he's always had this opportunity to go up to heavyweight, but he never took it. I mean, there was a point in the past where he said he won't go up to heavyweight, but now he's saying there's nothing at 205. And he should go up to a heavyweight. This was always an open door, right? I mean, he could have just walked away any time if that's really what he wanted. You know, he could fight Francis Agano. And coincidentally, man, if you guys haven't seen my video on Greg Hardy versus Alexander Volkov, which is insane that he's taken on 18-day notice in Russia. For some reason, they're leaving out Francis Agano on every single fight. He wanted to fight Alexander Volkov. They didn't give it to him. He's without an opponent. And he's clearly in the number one contender for a title shot in that division. John Jones isn't really fighting anybody right now. I know Dominic Reyes is the front runner right now, but he's just not showing interest in those guys. But here's the thing: John Jones always play these kind of mind games. He's always said he's not interested in this guy and this guy, and then he takes those fights. But is it possible that him for Fr- <laughs> no? I, I think I'm thinking of it too much. Him and Francis are without an opponent, or at least wanting to fight someone that's interesting and they're both open and John Jones came out with a tweet that said the fight with Ngannou is going to be inevitable I wouldn't mind if it's now <laughs> like it, it would make sense John Jones goes to heavyweight for the first time have this whole light heavyweight tournament play itself out and once everybody wins once Walker versus Anderson finishes Jan versus Jacare finishes then we get to see who's actually the number one contender for John Jones while he goes to fight Francis Ngannou now title fight we have it a main event in a pay-per-view it could sell out easily I mean that will be a big fight for Jones and in the meantime win or lose he should defend his title at 205 and then eventually go up to heavyweight again and fight the champion there or something like that you know that would be pretty interesting to see happen and it's very dangerous it's very risky to do but if he's gonna go up to heavyweight he's eventually gonna have to fight Francis Agano he's gonna eventually have to fight these scary big guys up there and why not test himself first against the top contender and being that number one contender will really skyrocket the interest of him fighting the champion afterward you know I don't know man there's a lot of things going on John Jones always plays these mind games with the fans with the brass with his opponents and then completely flips the script on them I mean what happened with uh before he fought Tiago Santos I think he was kind of alluding that he was gonna fight Stipe Miocic and then a couple days later or like a day later or something his fight with Santos is scheduled you know what I'm saying? So I do think it's going to be Dominic Reyes next. I think it's going to be pretty soon. I think it might be in the beginning of next year, maybe like March, February, something like that. Fights Dominic Reyes. If he goes and beats Reyes, which I think he will, then we got to really see what happens with the rest of the heavyweight division and what happens with the heavyweight championship. And crazy enough, the guy that everybody wants to see Jones fight eventually, Johnny Walker responds to Jones' tweet, quote, where did all the big names in the light heavyweight division go? And Johnny Walker's response is, quote, don't worry, the biggest name will be walking into your Twitter feed on November 2nd. Say my name three times and I might just appear today. Hashtag say my name, hashtag Beetlejuice, unquote. This is the guy. If he goes out there and starches Corey Anderson, and let's say he gets another win in the division, because Corey Anderson, let's be honest, what is he, like number eight to number seven? And if Walker goes out there and beats one of the top guys, such as Anthony Smith or something like that, then he should get a title shot because he's only three fights into his UFC career. And I know Volkan Uzmir got a title shot that soon, but to fight John Jones, I think Walker needs another fight after this. And then let's give him that big fight that everybody's anticipating. And I, just like many of you guys, man, I think Johnny Walker might be the guy that beats John Jones. There is Alexander Rakic as well, but I think Walker's going to get a title shot before. And I personally think he's going to be the hardest test for John Jones eventually. Now, a lot of you guys reminded me, I didn't even know, that Conor McGregor was supposed to have a press conference today. And I actually didn't watch this, so I might play here with you guys react to it with you guys and just see what's going on here so losses you know you analyze what went down you analyze your your lead up into the bout your preparation what went wrong what went right 
you know, life is just, life is a lesson, right? You, you're forever learning and constantly growing. You should always look back at what you've done and use it to, to, to do more things. So I would just analyze, analyze everything. How committed was I? What went wrong? What went right? And then make those corrections for the next time. So the sun, you win, you lose, you go to sleep, you wake up, you know, the sun goes down and it comes up the next day. It's no different. So you just analyze. You must do that on a win also. If you, if you, if you sleep on a, on a win, you'll wake up with a loss. You know? So you've got to stay, you've got to stay analyzing your, your preparation and your focus and be honest to yourself. And that's happened to me, you know. I've had that's great to hear, man. So right away, I notice Connor isn't yelling. He isn't going crazy. He seems pretty level-headed. The Ariel Hawani interview, he looks so off. Something was really wrong with him, it seemed like. And here, you know, clear-headed. And the fact that he's saying, you know, analyze the loss as well as a win. I like to hear that because when John Kavanaugh put out that book and said, you win or you learn, some people got the wrong idea about it. In fact, when you win, you learn as well. You should try to learn as much as if you lost. Winning and learning, there's always a mistake that has to be corrected, right? No win is going to be perfect, especially toward a specific perception. Your perspective on it is absolutely going to be the most important. And if you're a big self-critic, such as I believe Conor McGregor and many other fighters are going to be, there's always something, even in a win, that's going to disappoint them. And they take it almost like a loss. It's not a loss in competition, but it's almost like a moral loss in a sense. Where the mistakes made is almost as bad as just losing the fight. Because it's like, how can I make that kind of mistake like that, man? How could I do that out there? Wow, it is embarrassing. You know, that sort of thing. And then you go and correct that, correct that. Everything you did wrong in the fight, that's pretty much what you go back on. And that's what Connor's saying here. And that's great to hear because that's 100% right. I've had, I've had many ups and downs in this game, you know. Um, for an example, for, for would be like the Diaz 1 rematch. My prepper, um, the Diaz 1 fight, my preparation in the lead up to that, it wasn't, I was overtrained and I was run down by the time the fight came. And then mid, midway through the second round, there was no more left in the tank. Then I went a bit more the scientific route, met, my, met the doctors and, and the trainers on the McGregor Fast program and began formulating a proper training, training routine and I was fully, fully committed on my nutrition, on my training, on my sleep. I went to sleep at the same time. I woke up at the same time each, each day in camp. Sleep's overrated. And I went and I uh, avenged that loss, so. I've heard, I've heard the word commitment. How, how important is the commitment to discipline and how hard is that for you to commit to discipline in, in the routine, in the preparation for the fights? And how, what would you suggest to young sportsmen, young, young people question. who are trying to become real leaders in life and yeah. sports? How do, you, how do you recommend them to go with commitments? I mean, we are all human. Without, without the work, if we do not put the work in, you won't get the reward. So that, that's it. I have, like I said, it's easy, it's easy for someone to do this once, maybe even twice. But to do it year after year and time after time, you know, that's when, that's when your commitment can drop. That's when other things can get in the way. That's when I may start paying attention to the football again. And then the fighting, I'm not giving it 24-7. My, my, you know what I mean? So that's it. Just stay focused and put the work in. And, you know, if you, if you are at it long enough, you will have ups and downs. You will have dips in commitment and, and lapses in concentration. But you just got to be honest to yourself and, and be aware. Make those corrections and, and, and carry on. And it's very interesting as well when you talk about guys like Uriah Faber and guys who have retired and come back. This exact thing that Connor's saying is also backfired on many fighters. You know, that commitment that they had, it just stays a little bit too long to the point where the body can't keep up with the commitment. The body breaks down before the mind does almost every single time when it comes to fighters. When it comes to just athletes in general, when the mind is not into the game, that's when they usually want to retire. When your mind is not committed into the sport before the body is broken down, that's when you see fighters retire early, of course, right? But when the body breaks down before the mind does, that usually backfires and gets fighters really hurt out there as they get older and older in the sport and they don't know when to stop. More times than not, that is usually what's going on. And with Connor, it seemed like the reverse happened. So it seemed like he has alluded to this before. His commitment to the game, especially in his last fight, he said that it just wasn't there. And he took a fight doing that. When that kind of mentality breaks its way in, that is usually the time to retire or at least take a break like GSP did. GSP's body was all in good to fight. Mentally though, it was too much stress and that's when he got out and he was still physically very fit to fight. The hiatus gave him a bit of time to get back into the game mentally and pretty much figure out what you want in the sport. What are you going to be committed about? Because if it's not going to be the usual competition, you got to find other things if you want to really continue the sport. If the love of the sport is not gone, but just the specifics, the goal is changed, that is usually a good time to take a break and figure out what those changes are and what your plans are for the sport. And with GSP, it's to come back and face the toughest challenges, get all the credentials, beat the scariest opponents, 
and then get out again. With Connor, it seemed to be the money kind of threw him in that direction, and the commitment for the competition really wasn't the same anymore. And um, psychological, your state of mind is super important, I guess, to uh, sustain wins and if, if any loses, and also to go through discipline and uh, commitments and discipline. And how do you work on your psychological state of mind? Who does help you on that? Do you read specific books? Do you? Yeah, I, I mean, well, I do read books about like about positivity and things like that. But really, for me, it's always been my confidence has always has always come from my work ethic. You know what I mean? I I am a very very hard worker in what what whatever I am engaged in. You know, sometimes I will, if I have one thing lined up and then I have another thing lined up, I'll put more work into that into one certain uh, entity or business or whatever, and then the other one will not get that get that work, and then I will pay the price for that, and that's it. So. Um, and you just gotta put the work, put the work in, and 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 be confident. The confidence will come from the work ethic. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. There's a lot of athletes that have come like that, such as like Michael Jordan and other you know geniuses at the sport. They become really addicted to what they pursue in the meantime. You know, and whatever's in front of them, they put a little bit too much energy in that because that's the focus. And again, this could be the backfire to Conor McGregor with his whiskey business and all that stuff. The fact that he went to these other routes, took a detour. He probably put a little bit too much energy in those other stuff. You know, the whiskey business, the boxing fight making the money against Floyd, making his promotions. When he put all of these different things in his way, the focus got so much away from his original MMA goal. And this possibly could have had to do with his lack of commitment in his recent time in MMA. How do you feel about Vasil? And what do you know about him? What do you know about Ukrainian boxing culture, maybe? I know, I know boxing, I know Ukrainian boxing is phenomenal. Second to none in, in, in world sport, in world, world boxing. I know Vasil Lamanchenko very well. I studied his fighting for many years. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal boxer. Deep pound for pound number one boxer on the planet today, I believe. For me, you must compete in mixed martial arts. There comes a stage where... Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. I know where he's going with this. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with it. But I have a very similar thought to what Connor is about to say. When you're a boxer, when you're a kickboxer, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, wrestler... It's almost like they're creating a fabrication of reality. They're kind of misleading the crowd as well as themselves. That you are the baddest man on the planet. And, you know, like the best fighter on the planet. You're really not because you're still fighting in a very restricted martial art, in a sense. MMA is the most unrestricted fighter you can have in the world today that could still be legal, you know? It's the ultimate form to figure out who is actually the best fighter. MMA is really that. I know a lot of people glorify the boxers because it's really about the reputation that it's had throughout hundreds of years and the popularity it has grown because of the stars. But when you really look at it, what makes it so much different than the best wrestlers in the world, the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists in the world? They just don't have that kind of reputation. They just don't have that kind of money to throw them into that same mindset, right? You'll still see it all over the place, man. I know you guys have probably scrolled through comments if you go under boxing videos on YouTube or something. Whenever MMA gets brought up, the boxing fans just always think the boxers are the apex of martial arts. And it's just really weird. Even the quote-unquote analysts, when Conor went to fight Floyd Mayweather, they just don't understand the difference between MMA and boxing. They think it's just a different sport, but they don't look at the specifics of why it's different or how it's different. The main difference is... Boxing is a more restricted form. It's pretty much what it is. It's almost like playing basketball and all you could do is shoot layups. And because you can only shoot layups, now the distance of the players gets a little bit different. Now they play a little bit different because you can't shoot three-pointers anymore. You can't dunk the ball. You can't do all this other stuff, right? Just as an analogy, it changes everything about the sport. This is a very similar difference to boxing MMA. And those basketball players that can only lay up, yeah, they'll be the best at layups. They'll be the best at setting up for those layups. But when they go and compete against a well-rounded basketball player, they're going to lose almost every single time. And yes, of course, these well-rounded boxers are going to have a hard time getting into the layup basketball game because they're not virtuosos in that aspect of basketball. It happens vice versa as well, right? The layups in that limited basketball game doesn't translate that well to a full-on well-rounded basketball game, right? Because now, again, the distance is a little bit different. Everybody defends differently. Everybody's focus is just a little bit different. This is the same thing of boxing transitioning into MMA. Just because you're amazing with the boxing martial art in the sport of boxing does not mean you're going to be a great boxer in the sport of MMA because everything changes. The distance changes. The gloves change. The the surrounding environment, everything's so different. You have no shoes now. Like There's a lot of differences that can completely alter your means of boxing in another art form. If you are not, you know, you've got to try, you've got to, 
You are just lying to yourself if you stay in one discipline. It's not a complete fight. You've got to, you've got to compete in mixed martial arts. I would like to see him compete now in mixed martial arts competition. I know he had some, some words about me or whatever, but um, me going to, my, to boxing to fight Floyd, it would be like him going to mixed martial arts to fight Henry Cahuto, who was an Olympic uh, freestyle wrestling champion. I, I don't even think that's necessary. I don't think that's wise for him to do. But I do believe it's time for him to venture into mixed martial arts competition, personally. And don't get me wrong, man. Vasil Lomachenko probably will be the most adaptable boxer to come into MMA because of his wrestling background, because of his sambo background. And he has thrown kicks before. Have you ever seen him throw kicks? I think it was at a Muay Thai gym or something like that. He can actually throw decent kicks. The rotation of the hips isn't all the way there, but the explosion is pretty much there. And his supporting foot, which is something most people who get into kicking don't have, he's able to rotate on the ball in the foot very well. And that probably comes from his footwork discipline, as well as his dancing and stuff like that, that really adapts. So I think it's a little bit too much for him to fight Henry Cahuto, but Connor fought Floyd Mayweather, so he does have a point on it. A lot of boxers are not going to be willing to go into MMA and do the same. You got to give props to James Tony for doing it. He fought Randy Couture, who was pretty much out of the sport already, but he went and did it. He got manhandled. It'd be interesting to see some others do it as well. So Connor is a great MMA fighter, of course. We'll see a great boxer come to MMA and fight the best in the weight class. Thank you. Thank you, Connor. Otherwise, you're just living a lie. And the next question is from me regarding the Ukraine boxers. You know who is uh, Alexander Usyk? I know Usyk very well. Yeah, he fought uh, Tony Bellew, I believe, recently. And he's a phenomenal, phenomenal boxer. I believe he's going up into the heavyweight division. The heavyweight boxing division is absolutely phenomenal at the minute. You've got Tyson Fury, one of the cleanest boxers, one of the smoothest boxers in the division. Um, You've got Anthony Joshua, freak athletes. You've got Deontay Wilder, freak power. Um, what's your other guy, Ruiz? You've got him. He's also a crafty boxer, similar to, not similar to Tyson, but similar in, in quality of boxing. And also, he's got that knockout power. So, um, the heavyweight division. And now you've got Usyk as well going in there. The heavyweight division in boxing is very, very exciting at present, and I'm, and I'm enjoying watching it. The question is, uh, what were the weakness, the weak spots mm. the, that you mentioned with your team mm. that you mm. could use yeah. if you decide to have a, mm. a, a, mm. an ex-fight? Uh, I believe we overestimated. We overestimated his grappling. Just for context, I think he's talking about his fight with Khabib. Um, severely. And we also underestimated his striking. So there are things we will correct. You know, I will go on the offensive from a grappling standpoint. I believe I was, I was winning the clinch exchanges. In, in round three, um, in, in round three in the bout, uh, but it was a little too late, a little too little too late uh, in the bout, and also my lack of commitment, and you know, I wasn't as fully committed as I should be, carrying injuries and whatnot. So there's many many things we can improve and sharpen up when the rematch happens. Interesting. So you say overestimated the grappling and underestimated the striking. I guess it's not a bad mindset to go into a rematch with if he ever gets it. You know, because let's be honest, if it goes to the ground, Connor is not going to be in an advantageous position at all. I mean, he's going to probably be out grappled, out maneuvered, outsmarted wherever it goes on the ground. So might as well just like do what you can. Don't respect it that much. Just do what you can out there if it goes on the ground and on the feet, they allow you to mix up a little bit more with a little bit more risk to it or a perilous approach so he can land the left hand so he can set up for things more and not worry about the takedowns as much. Thank you for this answer. And how does how does this work of analysis going on? Like you all sit together, you have a computer and, and then the coach. You says, know, for me, for me, when I left the arena, I was just watching the belt repeatedly over and over and over again. And that's it, just continuing, just analyzing the sequences, the moments, and then referring them to the training camp, what we were doing in training and what, what was not necessary, what was necessary. Exactly like I was speaking on earlier, analyze what went right, what went wrong, make amends and carry on. So we will, we will continue and we will make this right, no doubt. And you, you definitely can expect this question. So what would be your next two fights? Who are you gonna find? We're very, very close to, to, to announcing it. Not, not just yet, but surely over the course of this trip, we should have an announcement. So that's what we're aiming for. Interesting. And then, so there's at least commitment for one, for one match, but are you gonna have more, like two or three? For how long do you wanna for stay me, in MMA? For me, I am looking at this next, for me, I used to, I used to fight every, every couple of weeks, really, before the UFC came. Then it was every couple of months. Now the politics of the prize got involved and it's almost, I fight one and then I go off. I, I do not like that. It's, you can't be like that in this game. I must continue, you know, consistency is, is another word, you know, you must be consistent. So once we get, 
once we get the first one done and we, when we get past the politics of this, I will, I will continue to go. I'm, I've faced very little damage inside the octagon. Um, so I'm eager to get going and continue. Like if I look at the run I had up, until, up, up to Eddie Alvarez when I won the second world title, it was consecutive bouts, bout, bout, bout. So I went into that Eddie Alvarez fight sharp, um, aware, fully prepared. And what happened happened on the night, one of the, one of the greatest performances in any title fight ever in the UFC. So that's what we are looking to, to continue on in the next time. Again, analyze what went wrong in the past, analyze what went right in the past, use it to go forward to the future. I like it, man. It seems like he has, again, a clear head right here. He's thinking about it analytically. He's thinking about it intelligently. And the fact that he says when he's really busy, he performs a lot better. I mean, it seems kind of true. He did fight Jose Aldo, then he fought Nate Diaz. He didn't perform that well. He listed the reasons for that. He got the rematch. He beat him. Very close fight. And then he goes and puts a masterclass performance against Eddie Alvarez. And all of that was within a year, right? He fought Jose Aldo in December of the last year. And he fought Eddie Alvarez in November of the next year. And that's four fights before 12 months. But if you guys remember when he tore his ACL against Max Holloway, he came back and all of his training partners said after months without training that he came in and just started destroying everybody. I mean, he looked better than ever in the gym. For some reason, nobody understood it. So when he talks about consistency, I think it also means mentally as well, not just physically repping the exercises, repping the drills, all that stuff. Mentally as well, man. You got to be involved in the sport as much as physically. And that it seems like something he was in, learning martial arts, probably on the meantime when he's injured, laying in bed, probably thinking about different sequences, probably doing the minimum stuff of, you know, shadow boxing for a couple minutes, probably just throwing his hands, probably just moving his body a little bit, watching fights, watching techniques, doing all this sort of stuff, getting your mind into the game. And this is something John Jones does as well. You know, John Jones always studies, learns techniques when he's home and stuff like that, trains when he's home as well as at the gym. And that is why he's so specially gifted in martial arts. And that is a very similar thing for Conor McGregor as well, it seems like. But he is absolutely right. Consistency it has to be in the game, mentally and physically. It seems if you really want to get far into it. Do you have, a, do you have rivals that you really want to find and money doesn't play there? I just, I actually, funny enough, I don't, I just want to compete now. I was trying to get the December 14th card. For whatever reason, they've been holding me back. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm giving them dates. I'm saying I want to fight this date, this date, this date, this date in a row. And, and we had opponents selected and everything. And they're just making it very difficult for me for whatever reason. So now I'm kind of in a position where I'm actually setting up, an, I'm attempting to set up an event, a charity event. So I will compete. I've done okay, wait, wait, wait. So he's pretty much saying he doesn't care about the money so the question was about the money and he said he just wants to compete and that's it and he wanted the december 14th card wasn't the card already booked i mean he called out frankie Edgar for december 14 and they already had three title fights they can't just put connor on the top of it after that i mean it'd be a little bit weird right so he said he has the opponent he had the event and they just didn't do it which tells me that his next fight is probably gonna be frankie Edgar. and man i don't like that fight at all that is not the fight that I think a lot of fans are going to be excited for. I think people want to see him fight Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier again. And those fights make a lot more sense and give him a lot more credit to fight a championship through a meritocracy later. That's what I got from him, man. And I don't like it. I really don't like that fight. I'll take it. I'll watch it because, you know, I guess they have some history and people before thought that Frankie could beat Connor, But it's a whole different thing now, man. Frankie's on the later end of his career. He's in a 135-pound division now. Or at least he's going to it. And Connor's 155-pound fighter. There are completely different stages of their careers right now. And what's this about amateur fight? I've done this before in my hometown, but I've done it under boxing, in an amateur boxing event in my old boxing club, Crumlin Boxing Club. But I want to do it in mixed martial arts competition also. S create an event, find an opponent, compete. Zero prize. I do not care about the prize. The prize is in my home. I have five prizes in my home that I seek to get. I've got them. I just want to compete now. I want to come back. I want to get sharp. I want to show the best of myself. You know what I mean? And continue to, to, to climb. So that's what I'm seeking to do. So we are looking to do that to, sometime in December. Hopefully have a charity mixed martial arts event for zero prize. The prize will go to charity. So that's what we are aiming for. So. And uh, to add up to that, is there anyone like... Maybe, know, maybe, maybe Party Match can assist me in that. Maybe we can set this up. You know, that's, that's what we are looking to do. Nothing got to do with anyone, just a charitable belt where I compete for my fans. The fans are eager. The lady said, we miss you and we, we you know, you're, you're, it's been so long. 
since you fought, I agree, it has been so long, and it's not good, it's not applicable to the game. It's not how I rose to, the, to be the greatest of all time in this game. You've got to be consistent with it. So, I'm looking to get back in and compete, and we are doing it any way possible, and I would love to do it uh, for charity. I, I even offered for the Frankie Edgar bout to donate my purse to charity. I said, you can get, because they were saying they won't make enough money on the Frankie fight, and I was like, I don't care. Like, don't worry about me, give my purse to charity, but for whatever reason, it's being made difficult. But like I said, we're almost there, so it's never easy with, 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 with this crowd. Yeah. Okay, so it seems like he doesn't care about the prize, he just wants to compete. His commitment seems to be on the competitiveness of the sport now, and that is a very good thing. If that's true, I don't 100% buy it yet, because he's always had this persona. You know, the money thing, he needs to be paid, he needs equity in the sport, he's pushed it so far to the point now where it just doesn't matter, he doesn't care about the money. I understand he's rich now, he doesn't need the money anymore, but I don't know, man, the persona went so far for the money. The fact he changed sports for it. Again, he wanted equity. He started his own promotion for a little bit. All of a sudden, he just doesn't care about the prize. Which is going to get paid. But I don't know, man. I just don't buy it yet. And again, it just seems like the Frankie fight's the targeted fight. I don't know if you guys like that fight. I don't know what the general audience thinks about it. But do you guys actually like to see that fight? Or would you rather see him versus Justin Gagey or Dustin Poirier or Tony Ferguson or the winner of Jorge Maslon versus Nate Diaz? Whatever it is. I even take the winner of Khabib and Tony over Frankie at this point, to be honest. I really don't have interest in him versus Frankie at all. Thank you for sharing that. So now <laughs> we're going for the uh, predictions. Masvidal versus Diaz. I think Diaz beats him. Oh. He's got crisper boxing, way more experience. And um, I, think, I think Masvidal has had a good run. He's, had two, he's on a two-fight win streak. The game. I think Diaz beats him. He's got crisper boxing, way more experience. And... Um, I think I think Masvidal has had a good run. He's had two. He's on a two-fight win streak. The game is very forgetful. I, I believe our, 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 our sport is. I just I think Diaz has enough in it to do him. I think he's in a better space. Um, you've got to factor in that. What kind of space is the fighter in? Because we can. Everyone's the best on their day. You know what I mean? So, I think Diaz beats him. He can win. Diaz can be Masvidal. Now he's saying because he has crisper boxing. Uh, it depends where. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's a little bit more known for boxing. He's not as dangerous though, and his defense isn't as good as Masvidal's. But again, Masvidal hasn't really fought up against a volume striker like this that focuses on the boxing, not so much kicks, not so much the footwork, not so much any of the other stuff, but just strict boxing. And Masvidal can kick, he can knee, he can do all that sort of stuff. I don't think it's just going to come down to boxing only, right? That's what it seems about Connor's quick analysis. Now, he's just probably thinking off the top of his head, but but Diaz can obviously win. I think there's other reasons for that, though. And he did say he has more experience. Now, that is true. He has more UFC experience. You know, I think he fought in the UFC 24 times, and Maslow fought in it 17 times. But in terms of overall MMA experience... Nate Diaz has 31 fights, Mazadal has 47, and Mazadal has fought in Strike Force. he's fought in Bellator, I guess you can call him Bulldog back in the day, he did fight Eve Edwards there, so I think the experience level is pretty similar, pretty similar, I mean Nate Diaz has fought in the UFC for a very long time, and the amount of fights in different organizations that Mazadal has fought in that aren't on the level of the UFC probably levels itself out with Nate's experience. Hmm, it'd be an interesting one, I think Khabib would probably beat him. Again, you've got to see what, what the circumstances are. Anyone can win on any given day. Tony is a formidable fighter also. You know, he's very, very tough. He does go down. He does get dropped. His guard has been passed. He's been mounted uh, by, by a lesser fighter. So I, I would favor Khabib in that bout. I don't disagree that much. I do think Khabib will be Tony. And that is true. Tony did get his guard passed by Kevin Lee. I can't remember if it got passed by Danny Castillo back in the day, but that doesn't give too much insight on this fight. It was too long ago to discredit Tony Ferguson. But I do believe Habib, if it gets to the ground, he will probably pass Tony Ferguson's guard eventually. But I don't think it's as easy as people think it is because... Here's the thing. Habib had a hard time passing Connor's guard for that first round. And his passing isn't like a wrestler. He takes big steps. He uses big motions, big movements to pass the guard. Wrestlers will squeeze their way into the next position. Their transitions a lot of times can be big or they could be small. Khabib seems to be really big. He stacks on you, tripods. He smashes your guard down. A lot of it's through ground and pound. There's a lot of 
big attacks or big motions that he uses to pass the guard. And that's not the way you get through Tony Ferguson's. And I don't think that's the way you have to get through Tony Ferguson's guard because he's throwing elbows at you. He's fighting back. He's a long guy as well. Long legs. He can wrap around you, lock up those triangle chokes. All that sort of stuff, man. Tony's a different kind of beast when it comes to passing his guard. And the thing about Kevin Lee is Tony took the first round off. Let's be honest here. Look at that first round. Look how he fought everybody else. Everybody else, he went into their face, throwing punches, knees, kicks, all that stuff. Against Kevin Lee, he just sat on the outside, danced a little bit. He just kind of countered Kevin Lee on his way in. And the lack of volume in the first round against Kevin Lee, because we all know Kevin Lee gasses out in fights, and he did have staff. Tony said he saw the staff, and he knew that was going to play against Kevin Lee, so he used it as a strategy. If Tony's volume is down on the feet... His takedown defense, or at least the setup for his takedown defense, gets weakened. It's easier to get to his legs, get to his hips, if he's not constantly creating chaos in front of you. So I think that's a big factor. Now, Henry Shiyudo, that's the right name? Yep. And Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah. I'd go Shev Valentina Shevchenko. We, we can't put 10,000 on that, right? We can't put 10,000, that's not, that's not going to happen. But I tell you what, that, that Shevchenko, that woman, the Shevchenko sisters are phenomenal fighters, but sure. Valentina is unbelievable. One of the one of the greatest female fighters there ever there ever was. So yeah, no. I would say I would say Valentina with the length and the range and the dangerous strikes <laughs> would probably spark Henry. That's actually facts too man. Shevchenko is longer and taller than Sudo. Shevchenko's a beast though man. He's fighting the winner of uh, Masvidal Diaz and Habib Ferguson. I designed that bad motherfucker belt. I actually designed that. I signed off on the design of how they are creating that belt. So most certainly, that belt was brought into fruition, brought to life because of me, the real bad motherfucker. So most certainly, one of those men is on my radar. Interesting. So I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I don't think it's that important. But I don't know how the belt looks. I hope it looks cool. They should make it really look cool because it's like a one-time thing or whatever. And inverse Mazdal or Nate Diaz makes kind of sense. I mean, they would take it. Both of them would take it. I know Mazdal is more focused on a title shot than Diaz is for the welterweight division. But I still think Mazdal would take a counter fight. I mean, the money involved in it, as well as if he beats Connor, or at least brings a good fight to Connor, it will skyrocket his popularity and his future fights will be big as well. But yeah, interesting interview. I liked it. I liked where his head was at. It wasn't that down and gloomy thing when Errol Hawani interviewed him. A lot more focused. It seemed like he looked a lot healthier. And what he's saying, it looks like he's trying to get back into the game. He's really trying to get on top of things because he addressed a lot of issues that are real. I mean, the issues that he addressed, those are the problems that tear down fighters from the inside. And the fact that he's focused on those problems and he actually knows what they are, it's a very good thing. Great interview for Conor McGregor. And whoever he's going to be fighting up against, whoever his next opponent's going to be, it's definitely going to be a big fight. It's definitely going to draw a lot. A lot of people are going to be very interested in his return back from the Habib fight that he had in October of last year. And yes, it's been over a year already. And Conor did announce that he's going to be fighting on January 18. And it will be his first fight on ESPN+. Plus. Right, UFC 229, I believe, was a pay-per-view without ESPN+. Plus. I think ESPN+, Plus came in a little bit after that. But I still think it's going to be pretty exciting. I think the quote-unquote entertainment era, or the entertainment factor in Conor's fights, might be a little bit different nowadays. Knowing that's going to be on ESPN+, Plus, he probably doesn't have to put on that much of a show anymore, or that persona. Some people may think that the excitement of it might be dwindled a little bit, but I don't think so. But what can make the fights a lot more exciting is if you go and bet on them as well. And MyBookie.ag has the best sports book, period. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and MyBookie.ag has it all. And I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet on the football season and some of the amazing UFC cards coming up soon, bet with my bookie. If you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little but win a lot, you could try a parlay. And if all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the football season is one of the best times of the year. And this last stretch of UFC fights is regularly some of the best of the organization's history. You can find very unexpected odds. You can find great ways, a bunch of different strategies to actually go about and win. For an example, you see Conor McGregor, most of the fights he's in, he's an underdog, right? And a lot of people seem to forget about his skills whenever time goes on. Rematch with Khabib, he's a big underdog. A fight with Justin Gaethje, he's an underdog. A fight with Hori Masdal, he's an underdog. And the betting lines on my book here are always updating. Join now and my book will double your first deposit. Use the promo code WEASEL to activate the offer. That's promo code W-E-A-S-L-E. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid.
Now let's get to the questions here. For those new, you can ask me questions on my community tab under my YouTube page. I'm going to post questions for a podcast usually Sunday or Monday. It's been Monday a lot more lately. And the questions with the most likes get read first. If Twitter is more convenient for you, you can tweet me any question. Make sure to hashtag MMA meeting. My Twitter handle is under every single video. It's going to be at the weasel, T-H-A-W-E-A-S-L-E. And I'll read your questions there as well. So the most liked comment on YouTube is going to be from Carl Lim. How do you beat these kind of fighters? A brawler with great cardio a long rangy technician, a pressure heavy wrestler. Now there's one problem with this kind of question and questions that are very similar to this. There really isn't a one way strategy or one way approach to be a broad style. So a brawler with great cardio, is he long? Is he tall? Is he quick? What techniques does he use? Is he a wrestler? Does he have wrestling? Is he good defensively with it? There's a lot of other aspects that really get thrown into this than just be a brawler with great cardio. But a general style, just like this one, that can kind of counter it, at least in theory, is going to be a long rangy technician actually with a means of tying up the fighter when people like to rush in a little bit too much and brawl with you disengaging that is actually engaging and the engagement has to usually be a wrestling approach or clinching up or something like that that you can use to tire out the brawler just a little bit now you said great cardio as well but the brawling style will still gas out a great cardio fighter no matter who it is you can't keep throwing punches and not get tired now he could do it a little bit longer it'll become a little bit more risky to approach such as let's say Paulo Costa, right? Good cardio and good brawler. But to disengage it is to engage it. And from a distance, you pick at them as they're trying to fight their way on the inside. Now for a long rangey technician, they are probably the hardest to beat. And what's really going to get to them is probably a wrestler that can use combination striking as well as cut off the cage. If they could cut off the cage, throw combinations with their punches, as well as mix up takedowns at the mere moment they see an opening, that is usually what gives these long rangey technicians problems. And a pressure-heavy wrestler, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, obviously, great takedown defense, explosive. The best would be like a Jose Aldo or something, but again, that's a little bit too specific for a general style of a pressure-heavy wrestler. That's a hard style to beat in general. The ability to move backwards and keep balance at all times, always balance on two feet, not one foot at a time. Looking for uppercuts, looking for knees, looking for a jab, especially to establish distance at all times, so the distance doesn't get closed faster than you expect. And the jab can also drain the wrestler's ability to keep marching forward on you which makes actually the timing a lot easier to deal with and ultimately finishing off the wrestler late but if you could take it to the ground keep the guard at all times and threaten with guillotines on the way down as well as triangle chokes all that kind of stuff whenever they present themselves and strike off your back as well to keep them busy don't always look to get back up to your feet because they're looking to get you to the ground usually when the takedowns are successful you're going to get closer to the cage and if you waste all that energy to get back up They could just tear you right back to the ground using that cage that you're against now. And it keeps zapping your energy, man. And then the next question, we go to Richard Bucker. Prime Brennan Schaub versus top 15 middleweights. Did Brennan Schaub ever have like a prime though? I'm going to be honest, he loses to most of them. I don't don't even know if this is a serious question. I think he loses to most of them. If I look at just off the top of my head, you know, looking at Adesanya and Romero and Whitaker, all those guys, all those top fighters will really KO him. You know, maybe Ian Heinish he can fight, you know, guys that aren't super dangerous with every given moment and, you know, just regularly well-rounded. I think those are the kind of guys that Brandon Schaub can compete with or at least beat some of them. He does have a size advantage over most of them. And we're talking about prime Brandon Schaub, who actually wasn't, he was big, 6'3", 6'4", but he weighed like 230, right? 240, 230, maybe even less than that. And we're talking about middleweights who weigh almost the same as him. So size advantage a little bit, and that's something he can use against these guys, but he doesn't do well at all. And then we go to ZXC. Rate these MMA gyms from worst to best. I would have to say Jackson Wink is the worst. If you're best fighters, most renowned fighters have been with you for 10 years or leaving your gym and the losing streak is like a world record or something yeah that that should be there the only thing that's holding him up is john jones but i think just john jones is that special so i'll say 10 is jackson wink nine i will say is sbg eight alpha male seven rufus sport six alliance mma five kings mma black zillions aren't around anymore so i'll just exclude them then i'll say number three so we're skipping up I'll say number three is City Kickboxing. Number two is AKA and number one is American Top Team. ATT is amazing. It's without a doubt the best gym. And Mike Brown, man, you got to give that guy so much credit. He went from WC champion, good fighter, beat Uriah Faber, all that stuff, to becoming one of the best coaches in the world today. 
Absolutely one of the greatest martial artists in the world. Then we go to Balcony Chael. Who do you see as Israel Adesanya's biggest challenge in the middleweight division? Thanks and keep up the quality content. Thank you so much, man. Adesanya's biggest challenge, I would say, is Yuval Romero. It always has been. That wrestling is something different. Adesanya has never fought up against anything like that in his entire life. And Romero is going to be bigger. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be more explosive. He has one-shot knockout power. He could blitz in very quickly. Extremely athletic. The only thing that might hold him back is maybe his fight IQ, as well as maybe age might get to him before he fights Adesanya. But I see Yuval Romero stylistically, with his skills, with his attributes, as Adesanya's hardest challenge. I mean, we're talking about a guy with an insane chin as well. Whitaker's been knocked out before. Whitaker's been dropped before. Romero has been knocked out once in the past against Cavalcante, and he has been dropped by Paulo Costa. We're talking about Paulo Costa of all people. But the guy has a chin of steel extremely tough so even if Adesanya is able to time him move back a little bit lean on his punches and counter him Romero is going to be able to eat some of those shots he ate head kicks from Robert Whitaker and if he's able to eat some of Adesanya's shots and still walk forward at him and throw punches Adesanya might be in trouble if a sniper misses or their punch isn't effective enough to stop the opponent they're in a very very dire situation and again the wrestling if Romero uses his wrestling actually uses it and goes to it a little bit more than a striking Adesanya might be in danger and a lot of people say Adesanya's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is really good. It does seem pretty good. Yoel Romero almost shut down Jacare's guard. He sat in the guard and ground and pounded him. I understand he dropped him and hurt him a little bit. But Jacare was like a fish out of water, jumping for the triangles, jumping for the arm bars. He constantly was just attacking Romero, but Romero did not care. Sat in his guard, landed ground and pound, shut all the submissions down, and just gave it to Jacare. If he could do that to Jacare, he could do that to Adesanya. I will say, though, if Romero's wrestling is not going to be successful, he is going to eventually get knocked out. Because I don't think his defense is going to be enough to completely escape all of the variety that Adesanya will bring forward. He was able to do it against Luke Rockhold, but Rockhold's way too one-dimensional, especially compared to Adesanya. Adesanya is also longer than Rockhold, faster than Rockhold as well. It's just that Romero surprises everybody with his explosions, right? He's not the most technical guy. He's not always doing the same thing over and over again in every single fight. So it's kind of hard to determine exactly what he would do to Adesanya, but he would have to explode at correct given moments. The timing of Romero is going to be the most important thing when it comes to fighting someone like Adesanya. Adesanya's most important aspect is going to be trapping Romero, as well as getting him to fall into stuff. But actually another important thing would be obviously keeping Romero at bay. and would have to be constant quote-unquote light attacks. Now they're not going to be soft attacks, but jabs, quick front kick, quick side kick quick round kick and move back just keep picking at Romero from a distance without overextending because once you overextend if Romero's able to maybe just through the chaos get on the inside or outside of your punch or kick that could pretty much be the end of the fight right there and then and then we go to Alpha Sniper who has a better win streak in the UFC Habib or Tony also who do you have winning Connor versus Tony the better win streak in the UFC it is funny because they do have a lot of mutual opponents so Habib streak Kamal Shaloris Glayson Tebow, Tiago Tavares, Abel Trujillo, Pat Healy, RDA, Daryl Horcher, Michael Johnson, Edson Barboza, L.I. Quinta, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. And then we go to Tony Ferguson. After his loss to Michael Johnson, he beat Mike Rio, Katsunori Kakuno, Danny Castillo, Abel Trujillo, Glayson Tebow, Josh Thompson, Edson Barboza, Lando Venata, RDA, Kevin Lee, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone. Habib's is a better one. It's not much better, but Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor are on a higher level than anybody else Tony Ferguson's ever beat. Tony did beat Donald Cerrone, which was a good win. He did beat Anthony Pettis. There could be some argument that they aren't the same fighters, but that's not my argument. There's a lot of people who say that. I think Cowboy and Pettis are really formidable opponents, especially at the stage that Tony Ferguson has fought them. Kevin Lee, people will say you know, he has staff infection. There's a lot of excuses for Tony Ferguson's competition. Taking away all those excuses, the best guy he beat was RDA. And he beat a really good RDA. I think a better RDA than Habib has been. And he did beat Edson Barboza and submitted him. I mean, he has more finishes than Habib does, which can go to his credit. But against Edson Barboza, Habib was more dominant than Tony Ferguson. But Tony was more dominant against RDA than Habib was. And he was more dominant against Gleason Tebow. They were both very effective against Abel Trio. I would just lean to Habib a little bit because of him beating Dustin Poirier as well as Conor McGregor. And who do I have winning? Conor versus Tony. I'll go with Tony Ferguson for now though. He can get caught. He can get knocked out. That left hand can catch him anytime. But Tony has a lot more ways to win. He has pretty high fight IQ. He rolls with punches very well. He's longer than Connor. I think the jab will disrupt Connor a lot. The unorthodox movements, the takedowns that Tony could possibly go for. He could fake the takedowns, go for elbows. He'll throw knees, he'll throw front kicks, stuff that Connor really doesn't face up against. And a lot of those things can disrupt what Connor usually tries to do in fights. And then we go to Bassi. Length of winning streak, difficulty of opponents, no PED history, dominating the fight, being undefeated. 
not choosing fights. How do you rank the above variables when it comes to determining who is the GOAT? And I miss anything you would include? I've heard in previous videos you called Dominic Cruz one of the best bantamweights ever. If he ain't the GOAT bantamweight, then why is TJ the GOAT for you with his previous PED history? Especially when you rank GSP above Jones because of his PED history. Keep the grind going, Weasel. Great to see the sponsorships you're getting. Thank you so much, man. An interesting question. So there are a lot of criteria. For me, difficulty of opponents is my number one. Because length of winning streak, being dominant, and being undefeated, not choosing fights, and no PED history can all mask a weak competition level. Difficulty of opponents, a high competition level is the hardest thing to get by. You can go defeat 20 nobodies, 20 cans, be undefeated, be dominant, have a long win streak. You don't even choose the fights. You never did PEDs, but you still beat very weak competition. Look at Henan for an example, right? Henan went like 31-0, and 0, fighting mostly guys you will never hear of in your entire life. And then he got into UFC, he had some good wins, obviously. He was doing really well. And then he lost to TJ Dillashaw twice, and now he's not the same anymore. Tyson Pedro was undefeated. Before he got in the UFC, he was dominant. He had a long win streak. Fought in the UFC, didn't do well. Now he's 1-3 in his last four. The competition level matters the most, in my opinion. All of these are important for a GOAT. A win streak is important. Shows your dominance. Being undefeated is an extremely hard thing to do, especially for a long period of time, such as Khabib Nurmagomedov. It shows your consistency, mentally and physically, like I talked about before when I was talking about Conor McGregor's interview. Not choosing fights, I don't think that's too much. I understand they can go against something like Floyd Mayweather, choosing a lot of his fights, how they were going to go and when they were going to go, what they were going to wear, who the ref was. That goes a lot against the GOAT status because you need a lot of variables, you need a lot of things in your favor in order to win. But I think that could be fabricated a little bit or exaggerated to the point where people think that that's the only way you can win, which is normally not the case. No PED history is a very big thing for me. It disqualifies or qualifies you, in my opinion. If you do PEDs, you're disqualified as the GOAT, no matter what. You're done. You can't be the GOAT. Unless you keep testing clean, for a consistent amount of time, such as Chris Cyborg, right? Chris Cyborg tested positive a long time ago. I don't count anything she did before that, or even around that date. The fact that she's been clean for a long time afterward, and she is still fighting at a very high level, she has good cardio, she has good technique, very skilled, all that stuff. She has shown me again that she is the best featherweight of all time, one of the best female fighters of all time. But such as John Jones, TJ Dillashaw, Anderson Silva, I can't include them because it's been so recent and the PED stuff came during or after their long dominance, which questions the entire thing before. Did they do it up until then, until they got caught? Are they going to do it anymore? Stuff like that. So how I rank this is difficulty of opponents is number one. No PED history is number two. Being undefeated is number three. Length of winning streaks number four. Dominating the fight is number five. And last is not choosing a fight. And regarding Dominic Cruz is the best bantamweight of all time or is it TJ Dillashaw? I was saying TJ Dillashaw was the greatest of all time before I knew he was doing PEDs. Like, once that came out, he was off the list. Dominic Cruz is the greatest bantamweight of all time, right? Until TJ Dillashaw can show again, come in clean, beat everybody, become the champion, do all that stuff again. If he could do that, then I can put him up as the greatest of all time. But right now, it's Dominic Cruz. And this is why I believe GSP is the greatest fighter of all time. He has so many records. He's one of the most skilled fighters I've ever seen. The only thing people don't want to rank him above Jones or Silva is because he doesn't finish fights as much. But everybody has their own list. Everybody has their own criteria. Some people are pointing Vanderlei Silva as the greatest of all time because he was the most exciting. Okay, it's just, you know, your list, your criteria, what your opinion is. The greatest thing about this is you're never wrong. Unless Artem is not number one. And then we go to Zen 1. Is there someone in the current MMA landscape that you foresee could become a triple weight champion? Triple weight champion is a very hard thing to do. The obvious answer would be Valentina Shevchenko. You know, because if she could beat Amanda Nunes, which she has almost done twice. If she could beat Amanda Nunes at 135, it's not that different fighting her at 145. Just a little bit more power, probably worse cardio, probably a little slower. That's it. You know, so that's the obvious answer. But without that, let's say Henry Cejudo has a great chance. Henry Suda is one of the best chances of doing it. He's already two-weight champion. Go up to 145. It's just 10 pounds higher. I know those guys are a lot bigger than you. And Max Holloway is a hard matchup. But if Max Holloway loses, then Suhudo's chances skyrocket. But I really want to say Israel Adesanya. Now, for one, he has fought heavyweight before in kickboxing. So he can deal with the power. He can deal with the size, the length, all that stuff. He's a 6'4 guy with 80-inch reach. That's the same as Stipe Miocic, right? Just put on a little bit more size. Oh, wait, fighting John Jones is the biggest hurdle here. I believe John Jones is a harder fight than Stipe. I honestly think that Stipe is an easier fight for Adesanya than John Jones is. Don't get me wrong, Stipe is a hard fight, but John Jones is a nightmare for Adesanya. And if he can get past John Jones, 
with the right kind of approach, keep it on the feet, really work on that takedown defense. And let's be honest here, Adesanya has a great clinch game, which is where John Jones really likes to set up his takedowns. Shooting from a distance on Adesanya is going to be a very hard thing to do because of how he keeps distance, because of how fast his feet are. His foot placement, his foot positioning is way ahead of Jones. So Jones attempting takedowns in the clinch is the biggest way he's going to try to get this to the ground. But again, Adesanya is a very good clinch game, very strong there. And if he could go and beat Jones... I think he does have a big chance of being Stipe eventually. Stipe is a lot more one-dimensional on the feet. Yes, he has one-shot knockout power with his hands. I think he's a little bit too slow to catch Adesanya. And his takedowns are a lot more obvious. They're a lot more obvious. Now, who do I favor to win that fight? I do favor Stipe to beat Adesanya eventually. And I do favor Jones to beat Adesanya 100%. But... If I look at everybody else who can do it, Cejudo being Holloway is like, it's just like not going to happen, man. That's way too hard of a fight for Cejudo, just stylistically, let alone the size. I mean, Max Holloway can be a 155-er. Cejudo is a small 135-er. Yeah, Holloway's a tough hill to climb, man. So, out of everybody else, I think Adesanya has the best chance of doing it. And then we go to Jimmy Repo, or Repo. Who would win these fantasy matchups? I can see this guy does not like James Vick at all. Are you going to be planning his funeral too? Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? James Vick versus Francis Ngannou. James Vick versus Johnny Walker. James Vick versus Israel Adesanya. James Vick versus Habib. And James Vick versus Tony Ferguson. Keep up the good content, man. Okay, I should make a breakdown on these. It'd be a, like a 10 second video. What do you want me to say? <laughs> what do you want me to say? I already feel bad for the guy, man. Him versus Francis Agano should never even be happening. I mean, they shouldn't even be near each other. That's how much this fight should not be happening. They shouldn't be able to walk in front of each other at a bar. I mean, Francis Agano stepping into the place will rumble it just enough for Vic to pass out. I mean, come on, man. Then we go to Bro Jogan. What is your top 10 pound for pound list? I don't know, are we including the female divisions? Because I kind of keep them as their own. It's a different level of competition, different level of everything. But if we're including them, let's just include them. So number one, Habib. Number two, John Jones. I'll say number three is Henry Cejudo. Number four is Amanda Nunes. Number five is Daniel Cormier. Number six is Stipe Miocic. I know people are going to ask me, why would you put Daniel Cormier above Stipe? Pound for pound is different than what you think. It's not ranking. It's not contendership and stuff. DC wanted light heavyweight belt. The meaning of pound for pound is who can pretty much go up different weight classes and stuff like that. Stipe has never fought in the 205 pound division he's fought one 205 pound fighter against dc and dc gives him all he can handle every single time you can exchange them i'm just putting dc above steepy because he won two belts pretty much so if you win two belts i mean that's a pretty good premise for pound for pound i'll say number seven is tony ferguson number eight is valentina shevchenko number nine is max holloway and number 10 is israel adesanya and the reason why i'm putting adesanya is number 10 even though i said that he might be the first triple champion or at least has the best chance to do it it's because he hasn't done it yet i think he has the skills to do it but this is what's shown. This is what's known. Valentina Shevchenko, for example, has fought very well against Mana Nunes. Some people think she won the fight. She fought very well in 135-pound division when she's a natural 125-er. Actually, she's not even a big 125-er. So that goes into the argument for pound for pound. Tony Ferguson has fought in the welterweight division and done very well there. That's the reason why I put both of them above Max Holloway. Holloway's a big 145-er. You know, he should be doing pretty well at 155 pounds, but he loses to Dustin Poirier pretty badly. You know, give a good fight, but nothing compared to what Tony did at 170 or Valentina did at 135, even against the best fighter of all time, best fighter in that division, Amanda Nunes. Then we go to Chef Tostizi. Who are the three biggest challenges to John Jones at light heavyweight that he hasn't fought yet? I will say the biggest challenge is going to be Johnny Walker. And there are a couple big reasons. One, he can match Jones physically. He's very strong. He's very powerful. He's taller. And he is about the same reach. Like two inches shorter. But the fact that he's two inches taller than Jones, it kind of equals itself out. He has more power than Jones. I think he's more dangerous on the feet. And the biggest thing is, I said this before, his unpredictability doesn't allow Jones to study him that well. Like we all know about Jones. If Jones can study you, he has a lot easier time of fighting you. If he can't study you, such as his fight with OSP, such as the reason why he didn't fight Chilson in that first time and they had to pull the card, such as his first fight with Gustafs and he didn't take it that seriously, I guess, and that means he probably didn't study for it that well. Even if he tries to study for Johnny Walker, yes, he's going to get things down because John Jones is really smart. He has very high fight IQ, but I guarantee there's going to be things that Johnny Walker is going to show out there that's going to completely surprise Jones. And one surprise from Johnny Walker is a surprise too much, right? He could put anybody out at any given moment, flying knees, spinning kicks hook kicks, back fists, elbows, whatever it is, he will throw it at you at any angle. But as of right now, I'll say Walker is the biggest challenge. And then I'll say Dominic Reyes. And then number three, I'll say maybe Alexander Rakic. And now let's go to the Twitter questions. We're going to start with at Jack Booty. Which fighter's rise do you think was more impressive? Israel Adesanya's or Conor McGregor both had successful and similar rises. Won the title in seven fights, won the interim title before the real one, and became the biggest UFC stars in about two years. 
Wow, they're very similar, huh? They're both very impressive. Very impressive. I will say Adesanya fighting Kelvin Gaslam versus Connor's fight with Chad Mendes is more impressive on Adesanya's side. And the reason for that is there weren't any injuries, or at least that we know of. I think Kelvin said he has some injuries. It wasn't like Connor had a torn ACL, whatever it was. Chad Mendes had a, like a broken hand, broken foot. Like it wasn't a fight between two broken fighters. And Adesanya and Kelvin Gaslam gave a war. Now a lot of people say that shows that Adesanya isn't as good as people thought. But let's not forget, Conor got dealt with a bit against Chad Mendes, especially with the takedown. But we gotta be honest, Conor McGregor got taken down by Chad Mendes, got control, lost the first round. But Conor did finish Chad Mendes in the second round. Whereas Adesanya went to a decision and did get dropped in the fight, stunned in the fourth round, I think it was. So I think maybe, yeah, I'll have to go to Conor having a more impressive run. His fight with Josie Aldo, leapfrogs. Adesanya's performance against Robert Whitaker, and I guess Connors went over Chad maybe a little bit better than Adesanya or like on equal ground. Up until then, I mean, Connor did beat Dustin Poirier, which is a good win. Adesanya put on a decent performance against Anderson Silva, but it shouldn't have gone that long. And he shouldn't even been in that much danger as much as he was. And his fight against Marvin Vittori was not impressive at all. And even against Brad Tavares, I thought Adesanya was going to starch him out there. So I'll have to say Conor McGregor's run was more impressive. Then we go to Ed Sepp. Chantry? I know I pronounced that wrong. I'm sorry, man. Do you think Izzy or Masvidal will win fighter of the year? I mean, it has to be one or the other. Hope your mom's recovering good and keep pumping these out. Thank you so much, man. I would have to say right now it's Izzy. He won a belt. He beat Whitaker. He beat Kelvin Gaslam this year. For me, I'll say Izzy. The prestigious run that Izzy had this year. Interesting question at Bader underscore great one. First of all, thank you for the amazing content, for sharing knowledge, and for everything you do for the sport. Thank you so much, man. If Habib's fights were in a ring... Instead of a cage, do you think that will affect his performance significantly? And Max Versiarier, who wins? It definitely would affect it. You cannot tie up on the ropes, push up against the ropes with a takedown, like you can do against a cage, obviously, right? It's a different surface, especially how many ropes there are, and how thick they are, and what ring it is. Like, what are the dimensions of the ring? All sort of stuff can factor into that. But it definitely would not be the same. It's a lot easier to fight off takedowns against the ropes. And it's a lot harder to drive takedowns to the ropes because you could potentially fly right through the ropes into the audience. A cage is secure. It's safe to push on. And because you could put so much weight on it, because you could put so much force against the cage, you could return with it. You can change the momentum of that force. You could apply your body weight on it where you cannot do it on the ring. And that will force a lot more action. It'll make Habib's takedowns a lot harder to go for. It will also force him to shoot at the center of the cage a lot more. And that is not something he does as well as he does against the cage. I think a lot more fighters will be able to defend the takedowns in the middle of the cage than against the cage. And I think the ring will make a great difference. And Max versus Yair, who wins? I'll have to go with Max Holloway. Yair's boxing is not on that level. Max is the same size, same height. Yair has a slight reach advantage. Yair will have a kicking advantage, of course, but it's going to be up against the boxing of Max Holloway. And we know Holloway doesn't check kicks too well. He doesn't defend kicks too well. And that'll actually make this fight a lot more competitive than people think in the first place. But I think Holloway's going to be able to adapt in the fight, put a lot more pressure and work with the boxing past the kicks of Yair and make it a really dirty fight for him and eventually winning a decision where Holloway's going to be a lot more fresh later in the fight. Yair might gas out a little bit. All right, guys, so that's it for the podcast. Man, I wish I could go longer. I really wanted to go longer than this. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, make sure to give it a like and make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you're listening to an audio version of this. And again, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.